Welcome to the Department in Conversation. This is a planned series of recorded conversations to, to build our community and cohesion within the department. Through these podcasts, we hope to highlight different components of the department, the faculty and students within our community, and the broader academic life. Today, our conversation is with the Graduate Program Director, Dr. Elizabeth adon Peluche. Elizabeth is ending her, her tenure in this role in June 2021, so I wanted to spend some time talking with her about her time in this role and what we should be thinking about as a community as we prepare for our change in leadership. I'm shedding a few tears. This is gonna be a bit sad for me, but I'm also very excited to continue working with whoever takes this role on next. For those of you who don't know Elizabeth, she's trained in human development and learning with her PhD from the Faculty of Education. She has been leading the Community Health Sciences graduate program since 2015 and has built it to the program that it is today. A huge success and a real recognition of her achievements. Welcome Elizabeth and thank you for agreeing to chat with me. Thank you so much, Fiona, for inviting me today and allowing me to share a bit about my experience in the role of Director in Community Health Sciences. Let's start with you telling me a little bit about that role. Where does this fit into the university structure? Right. Um, well, the Director of the Graduate Education Program in CHS is really uniquely situated in terms of university structure. Ultimately, anything graduate education related is governed by the Faculty of Graduate Studies, or FGS. Um, but in the Faculty of Medicine, we also have Graduate Science Education, or GSE, which is an umbrella organization, if you will, under FGS uh, with our Associate Dean, uh, Dr. Tara Beatty. So GSE really serves a special function of working to streamline all policies and procedures across the 10 graduate education programs. So there's actually 10 programs in, in the coming school and MDCH is one of those programs. Um, in addition to the infrastructure of FGS and GSE, though, our program is also uniquely and closely affiliated with the department, uh, your department, Community Health Sciences, our department. Um, and not actually that's unique because not all other, other graduate programs in medicine have this departmental affiliation. So in many ways, the graduate program and, and by the graduate program, I mean our students, our supervisors, committee members and mentors. Uh, we're all additionally privileged as we can avail ourselves of the many resources sciences. and i'll admit that sometimes having all of these layers of governing bodies to liaise with can make things additionally complex but uh, it's i've been extremely fortunate to have developed strong partnerships over the years with fgs gse and chs and so leadership at all of these levels have really worked remarkably well to focus on the unified goal of strengthening the quality of our educational program, which ultimately, we hope, improves the overall student experience. I, I'm showing my ignorance here, Elizabeth. I didn't realize that graduate programs didn't have to be affiliated with a department and that that was one aspect that, that made our program different than others. And I also didn't realize there was 10 in, in the Faculty of Medicine. So, wow. Yeah, not that we're competitive, but we are the largest of the 10 graduate uh, programs within coming School of Medicine as well. <laughs> Little fact. Yeah, no competition though, as you say, no competition. Right. <laughs> um, so tell me, what kinds of things do you do in this role? Good question. So um, I've learned to conceptualize the role of the GPD as, as really involving three important and I think interrelated functions. And um, so the, I, I'd say the first is, really care of the program 
The second is care of our graduate students and the third is care of our faculty members. So GPDs are responsible for managing all aspects of the graduate program. Of course, we get support from the GPD, uh, sorry, from the GPAs and the larger faculty of graduate studies team um, to ensure the day-to-day -day functioning and overall academic quality of the graduate program. Often the GPD will serve as the primary point of contact for all academic matters for our master's and PhD thesis-based students. And the GPD's role is to facilitate conversations between our programs, the academic department, GSE, and FGS. Um, but I also think the, the care of the graduate program involves things like chairing and, and advocating, participating on committees that oversee things like graduate funding, admissions, examinations, course planning and experiential learning activities and opportunities for our students. So the GPD manages any pedagogical, operational and administrative issues that affect the graduate program. Um, care of our graduate students means that the GPD works with GPAs to ensure graduate students are informed about the services and resources relevant to their training. Um, that, you know, really students understand the rules, regulations and procedures that are relevant to ensuring they can achieve their milestones in a timely and effective way. Um, but I think this also involves the GPD acting and often proactively involved at the ground level to really try to hear about the potential and real challenges uh, that students are experiencing so that we can work on ways to mitigate them, um, as well as to hear about student successes and enablers so we can celebrate and promote these generative pathways of learning. For me, the care of our graduate students, even before COVID, has meant seeing our learners holistically. So not just as students in an academic program, but rather contributing members of our broader community as partners, parents, caregivers, innovators, full-time professionals and employees, for example, and then also learners in our education program. Especially in our MDCH program, this means that we do concern ourselves with our students' physical and financial wellness their mental, social, and spiritual wellness, as well as their academic wellness and progress. Um, and then the third is the care of our faculty, which to me means that the GPD acknowledges that her team extends beyond FGS, GSE, and the students. Uh, in fact, without faculty who have the expertise, time, and resources to mentor and supervise, as well as teach and fund our graduate students, the graduate program wouldn't operate. Um, so as a result, the GPD really needs to listen to and learn the needs of the faculty involved in graduate education. She needs to monitor the changes that come through GSE and FGS so she can understand and appropriately communicate the new regulations, policies and processes that may directly impact the work of our academic faculty and staff. And she needs to ask about the potential and real challenges faculty supervisors and educators experience so that, again, we can work to find ways to mitigate or lessen their negative impacts, as well as to hear about our supervisor's strengths and successes so they can be celebrated, shared with others who can learn from them, and of course be supported. So I guess similar to my view of graduate students, care of our faculty means seeing our supervisors and educators in a holistic way with responsibilities that extend beyond the work I may see them perform within just our graduate program. Yeah, that really, I really like your use of the word care, because I think to me, there is like uh, a lot of human connectedness um, that is needed in this role and care is um, a word that really resonates with me. So thank you for framing it that way. You're a busy lady.
Tell me what a week looks like in this role. Oh, well, um, in terms of kinds of things the graduate program director does in a week. Um, some of it really depends on the time of year. So for instance, in September, much of the work of the GPD is in welcoming the new cohort of students and the returning students, teaching the block week course, writing Vanier letters and any other scholarship letters of support. Um, whereas the months leading up to December 1st tend to focus on admissions related issues, reviewing calendar entries for the program, approving winter course outlines. March tends to be focused more on, on thinking about teaching assignments and May and June focuses on new budgetary allocations, assigning graduate student assistantships for the next calendar year and of course fall course outline approvals. But I would say that week to week, the tasks can really vary. So never a dull moment and the tasks are not mundane. Um, my inbox in any given day could be filled with things like requests for approval of supervisory committee members or examiners, um, signing off on notice of exams, reviewing course exemption requests, advanced credit, courses to be taken through the Western Dean's Agreement. Um, consulting with uh, faculty who want to develop new directed study courses. I get quite a bit around relationship challenges between students and supervisors requiring support or intervention, um, especially this past year, a lot around financial distress from our students and their, their supervisors. Um, unfortunately, the not so pleasant things like uh, allegations around academic or non-academic misconduct. And then on the brighter side, things are about student scholarships and exams, you know, successful completion, things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of variation there, a lot of, as you say, never a dull moment. <laughs> so you've been serving in this role for almost five years. It will be five years, I think, when you end your term in June. Uh, and as a faculty member, I've witnessed some of the awesome things you achieved. Uh, I'll highlight your increased student and supervisory support, increased focus within the program, increases in our student successes at national uh, funding competitions. What are you the most proud of achieving in this role? Uh, well, first off, thank you, Fiona, for mentioning these successes, um, which I really see as having occurred because of an incredible team effort from our graduate students, both past and present, our instructors, our supervisors, and of course, um, the executive leadership team. I don't know if I can point to only one thing, really. Um, Although I, I have to say that leading the curriculum renewal process really stands out for me. I remember when I suggested that we map all of the courses in our program and that I try to engage all faculty in this process. I was supported because it was important work and something I expressed I wanted to do. But I know many were ex extremely skeptical that it could be achieved with <laughs> success. But I have to say meeting with members of every specialization to discuss how we could refresh our offerings Seeing their enthusiasm and their commitment to our program, all of that truly inspired me and it built this great momentum. And when we were able to host the curriculum retreat in 2019 and then share the report with everyone, that was really special for me and it helped bring closure to something that I had started and, and could then call at least the, the end of a first phase of the review. Mm -hmm. When I look at my tenure as director, I know we've all worked to improve and clarify a lot of operational processes for students and faculty. And I know this because the initiatives we targeted emerged from either student or faculty expressed needs for change. And here I'm thinking about things like the graduate teaching assistantship application and hiring process, 
Um, we developed the, the graduate student peer mentorship program in 2018. We developed new field of study regulations that really address some examiner concerns around providing global assessments for both the written and oral exams together. And then, of course, the guaranteed funding policy that address the financial inequities across our MDCH graduate students. Mm -hmm. I think one thing I'm most proud of um, is the infrastructure that uh, we developed for the program, because I think this is going to go a long way in helping to support the next GPD. Mm -hmm. When I started as director, I, I was handling all the inquiries, the problems, the successes, primarily on my own. And over time, you know, when we created this executive leadership team, comprised of our GPAs, our admission manager, um, student supervisor, advisor, and the curriculum renewal manager. These positions, they've been key in supporting the work of the director and ensuring the overall academic quality and the humanness, really, of the services that we deliver in our graduate education functioning. And I have to say, this group has also created a really safe forum for me to seek advice and, and to share some of the challenges with people I know are going to understand significance and sensitivity of the issues that we deal with daily in this program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a long list of, of achievements. You should be, uh, I hope you give yourself a big pat on the back for many of those. I know as a faculty member and now as a department head, those are really impressive and lay such a success, uh, foundation of success to catapult from. So thank you for all those. There must be things that haven't come together yet. Any unfinished business that you want us to keep working on as a community? Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, great, great question again. Um, I remember when I started as GPD in 2015, I was told the term was three years long and that in the first year, I, it would likely involve me observing what was going on. And then in year two, I would likely start implementing changes. And in year three, I would probably want to start evaluating the changes. And, and I think that's so true. And what I've learned as I'm now completing my second term um, is that one always needs more time to implement, change, evaluate, tweak, and then, you know, really start that process all over again. It's iterative and a dynamic process, but it's really critical and necessary. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the timing of this is all really exciting. And I hope that the new GPD will opportunistically take advantage of what's going on in the broader national graduate education context, as well as more locally in the strategic planning, for example, that you're engaged in with right now with CHS. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that I'd like to consider my response uh, in terms of the infrastructure that we have in place in MDCH, as well as the three priority areas we've been working on over the last several years. So the first is I hope we can continue working on refreshing our curriculum under Tanya Barron's leadership as curriculum manager, as well as to think about alternative delivery of our curriculum. I think the pandemic has really pushed us as educators to live in the world of virtual teaching. And for some of us, this has been a really uncomfortable space, while for others, this has opened up a new viable classroom for teaching our students. I hope we can create something like maybe a virtual teaching task force or something like that comprised of our educators and our graduate students so that we could focus on ways we might keep fully online for hybrid or, or even hybrid teaching of some courses um, to make these things available to our students even after the pandemic. Um, that we could learn from each other in terms of what has worked and what hasn't over the past year and to work on finding ways to improve the teaching experiences of our students and instructors 
because in spite of these challenges, there are opportunities we can capitalize on using a remote teaching and learning framework. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the next would be uh, around admissions, and there's lots here I, I could speak to. Uh, I'd love for us to keep looking at ways to improve our application system. And this includes everything from becoming more strategic in recruiting our stu students, right through to improving the automation, personalization, and responsiveness of our application process. Our undergraduates are fertile ground for us to keep in our home graduate programs. And so I, I think we need to steward our recruitment efforts better and deepen our collaborations with other academic programs at our institute and, and more broadly. Uh, anytime we get students who contact us, we, we need to make it a personalized experience and offer responsive communications, I think. Also, I know that it's slow in coming because it's it's hard to do and it's complicated, but it's something other graduate schools across Canada are starting to implement. This is the idea of holistic admissions processes. Mm -hmm. And this really means emphasizing the whole person, not just select pieces like focus on a GPA or publications and awards, which you know most of us traditionally have been doing. Uh, to do this, I think we this means we have to look at our evaluation criteria. It needs to reflect uh, taking on students who will contribute to our community in meaningful ways. So looking at strong academic records, but also challenging courses that might be on transcripts. Looking at letters of recommendation that describe the student's potential and their defining characteristics. Looking at their extracurricular activities, whether they've been working for years, you know, um, things outside of the classroom um, that, that may be of value for us to look at. Some of these things I think we've already incorporated into our admissions application, but I think there's more work that we could do on this. I'm excited that as admissions manager, Tolu Sajobi is already wanting to initiate conversations with our admissions committee on how best to improve the identification and eventual selection of our applicants. And hopefully we can, we can look at this um, more in terms of an entire program learning life cycle and use the information that we get from our applicants and, and observe them over time to see how students are progressing. And, and you know, what this means is that we look at admissions as a mission-driven, strategically focused, and maybe even data-driven process so that we can promote diversity and inclusion, which is, mm -hmm. is a, essential to achieving program excellence. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I, I hope that we can maintain our focus on graduate student mental health and well-being um, to start using what we know and translate it into actionable efforts. Uh, this might include things like developing principles and commitments around well-being as a foundation of student success. So that thriving, not surviving, as we've heard lately, you know, is our goal. Um, it might include an explicitly stated understanding reflected in our policies and procedures that the challenges experienced by our graduate students vary widely. And so a one size fits all approach might not be most appropriate. Um, you know, we have examples like continuing with our peer mentorship program, which we started a few years ago. Um, we've heard this helps foster a culture of well-being and sharing of multidisciplinary perspectives amongst our students. And there are differences in needs by demographic groups. And so trying to better understand ways we can respond to these needs will be critical in demonstrating we're a community that cares and values diversity in the whole person. Related to this, though, I, I would also like as a program, and, and we haven't maybe focused as much as we could on this, um, is to look at how the faculty, staff, and administrators who work with graduate students may also experience significant stress. 
So to consider ways we might identify and support these individuals. And as you know, our student supervisor advisor, Bonnie Lashowitz, has truly been instrumental in offering support to our students and faculty, often beyond the world of, of academia. And I'd like to think that some next steps might include offering some mentoring training for faculty, in addition to training to support graduate student mental health and well-being, Mm -hmm. so that faculty can better recognize when students might be struggling and how to refer them for, for professional help and other things like providing positive incentives for healthy research practices for students, faculty and enhanced support for graduate students and early career researchers. And I guess even more basic to all of that is, is to be able to provide procedures to help our grad students and, and our faculty raise these wellness issues and subsequently be able to deal with their concerns in a, in a safe way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was a long list, I know. <laughs> no, but it's all like really great pieces of work for us to keep momentum on as, as we work with our new leadership here. Absolutely. As you reflect on this role, how have you grown as a professional? I mean, what has this role allowed you to do that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise? Wow, uh, tough question. <laughs> I would hope my colleagues could attest to my growth as a professional over the last several years because I know that serving our community as a GPD has really pushed me to better understand who I am and how I lead. Uh, I'm sure it comes as no surprise that relationships are really important to me. Um, mm -hmm. I spent my, the first five years of my academic appointment in the Department of Surgery with a joint in CHF. And so when I came to this role in 2015, I really was a new face. And I was really excited to meet my CHF faculty team. I had served as the specialization chair for MedEd in for three years prior to starting as GPD. And I was actively teaching and supervising. But really, all of my relationships were met with my members of my specialization. So. Taking on this role changed all of that for me. This position enabled re me really to expand my network and my influence. So by working with our university leaders and decision makers, world-renowned scientists and scholars and trainees who have since moved on to other um, positions in public health, and staff who humbly and expertly maintain our day-to-day -day academic operations and enterprise. Um, this really helped me see the bigger picture and the importance of working within our specializations as well as across our specializations. I learned that it never gets easy for me to challenge people, um, but when I approach them with care and operate under the assumption that they're intelligent, good and competent people, which I believe them to be, then our conversations are always more productive. And I've been able to see people at their worst and at their best. And under both conditions, it's been really important for me to listen and offer a kind and compassionate ear to try to find ways to best support them and always to learn from them. I've always learned from all of my interactions with, with my colleagues and students. Um, I learned that as a person who values relationships and has made many good friendships with my colleagues, not everyone would take the time to see things from my perspective, to understand where I'm coming from, and nor would they care. And I learned that that's okay, because um, I had to learn to live with that too. But that my job was to view decisions from multiple perspectives and to take more of a data-driven approach while trying to serve and balance the interests of both our students and faculty. And I learned that leaders, all leaders, make mistakes. And it's important to surround yourself with people who forgive and empower you to try again, because I've made mistakes as well, many times. Um, but I've also tried to learn from them. Mm -hmm. 
But I think the biggest thing that has pushed my growth is I've learned about how powerful we are when we all work together. So when I started in this, this role, I felt this incredible pressure to have all the answers. I had to know everything, how everything worked, what all the rules and policies and procedures were. But very quickly, I learned about the incredible talent that we have right here amongst us in our students, educators, researchers, administrators, staff and leaders. And that I didn't need to know everything and that I could be far more useful as a leader of our program if I surrounded myself with a team of experts, faculty and students alike, who could offer me counsel in developing, maintaining and reimagining our graduate education program. There's no way a single person can oversee the largest graduate program on her own, nor should she. Um, and so that's why all of what's been accomplished, I think, over the last uh, several years while I've served as GPD is because of the talented team that I've been privileged to partner with. That, that really resonates with me and the way I think about uh, leadership too, Elizabeth. I mean, I think I've got my first thousand or so mistakes underneath my, under my belt since I started as department head. But as you said, like surrounding yourself with people who are forgiving of that and willing to help you learn and move forward with it. And your team is key. Like every, every success is a team success. So uh, yeah, really important and wise words on leadership there. You've made some trade-offs. Tell me about those. Yeah, so I think the main one is that as GPD, my role is really to support the work of others, not myself. So this includes our graduate students and the faculty promoting our graduate education program. Uh, the most obvious example involves the challenges, I think, around advancing my own research program. It's been most difficult to develop and sustain a program of research while serving as GPD of this program. Um, I must say, though, in my second term, I finally realized that I should probably develop a research program around the innovations I was leading um, as GPD. And, yeah, so finally, uh, the scholarship around, you know, graduate peer mentorship, professional development and experiential learning and curriculum and competency framework development in graduate education. So um, I guess another example is of a trade-off is the challenge uh, around finding time to pursue your own professional development opportunities. Again, um, due in part to the number of diverse committees across the coming school and main campus that you sit on, regularly high volume of challenging, delicate and urgent e emails that, that I get daily. Um, so I've often sacrificed, you know, preparing a manuscript for preparing a respectful and well-worded email, um, or I didn't make a grant deadline or, or something, you know, a conference or something because of some unique crisis um, that may have emerged that I needed to innovate a solution for and that that took precedence. Mm -hmm. And I think the other trade-off, which is, is likely a related consequence of, of some of these others that I mentioned, but I think is extremely significant on its own, is that in taking on this role as an administrator and dedicating so much time of my career to service, I realized that not a lot of people understand what an administrator does. It's not glamorous um, in their eyes and uh, that there's really little by way of metrics for promotion or other incentives. And so unlike faculty who are in maybe the research track and develop a strong record of publications, presentations, they achieve grant success and funding dollars and they're rewarded by being internationally recognized, it's much more difficult to point to these concrete metrics as an administrator. And so I guess maybe of the three areas of research, education and service or administration, maybe it's just my perception, but it, it feels like administration is maybe the least valued, recognized and understood by academics. 
I'm hopeful this will change in the future, um, but at times I've come up against that, so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Although I will, I mean, you're you're being too hard on yourself as someone who has seen your CV recently. I can say that with a lot of certainty. And I also would just would shout out to, to Brenda Hemmelgarn, our previous department head, who I think took lots of opportunities to make sure that you you were shining and um, you have numerous awards yeah. sort of reflecting that support, but also you know, your outstanding achievements um, in this role, despite all the limitations that that you would just articulate. Yeah. Um, yes. Thank you. As we look for our next leader, what, what attributes do you think we should be looking for? Um, well, maybe I'll, I'm going to be too simplistic in my response, but I think um, the attributes I would encourage us to look for in the next GPD would be, you know, someone who has a strong commitment to graduate education. Um, someone who's willing to devote the necessary time and resources to ensure the, you know, the smooth, smooth-ish day-to-day uh, -day <laughs> functioning and overall academic quality of the graduate program. Um, someone who's willing to serve others because there are many to serve as a leader in this role. Um, someone who's willing to develop good working relationships with our students, our faculty, our staff within our program, and then of course across CHS, GSE, and SGS. And someone who's adaptable, has really strong project management and time management skills, and is a clear communicator. And, and by this, I mean including the listening as well as the oral and written skills. Um, and then, I guess, my own bias, someone who's kind and compassionate because we need, we always could use people like that in, in leadership roles. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, you described many members of our community, so yes. I think this role could appeal to a lot of different people um, and different faculty members who might be interested in getting into some leadership and administration roles. So, I agree. Um, so my last question is really, what could the department, and I'm asking pretty selfishly here, uh, by extension, the department head, what, what could we do to support the person to thrive in this role? Yeah, well, Fiona, I already see you doing things to support this next person so that they can thrive in this GPD role. I, I think this podcast is one example of that. You've taken the time and care to, to want to share this information within our community on what the role entails, the successes and challenges one may experience in taking on the role, and the resources embedded within the graduate program that this person can lean on in growing into this position. And I guess I want to emphasize that last point, allowing the person to grow into this position. Leadership develops daily, not in a day. Um, so I think we can all support the new GPD by recognizing that he or she will never know all the rules, processes, and policies. And really the best way to support this new director is to give him or her the time to learn by observing, changing, and evaluating what's been implemented. Um, that knowledge of the role comes with time in the role and possessing relational competencies is, is really critical as the director liaises with uh, and serves as an ambassador and advocate for graduate students, faculty in the graduate program. So providing support um, for them to engage in those activities, I think will be key. And you know, this role involves leading without authority or let's say maybe with little power, um, but I still wanna emphasize that we shouldn't underestimate the influence a GPD can have especially with the joint support of the department head in CHS and the, the Associate Dean of Graduate Science Education. 
Um, it's key for the, the director to build and leverage off the existing executive team as well as any new infrastructure that you all imagine together. And uh, this is going to help support the director in achieving the program's missions and, and goals. Thank you so much for your time today, Elizabeth. That's the Department in Conversation.